Today on The Corner, we have Josh Menko here. He is an editor for commercial and narrative projects. I'm your host, Zena Wood, and welcome. Hey, Josh. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for being here. No worries. It's a, it's a pleasure. Yes, it's a beautiful sunny day. Yeah, great to be inside. <laughs> <laughs> so much of our industry. Yeah. Beautiful days, and then we're inside. Exactly. Yeah, so um, I guess we'll just get started with how sure. you got started with editing. Okay, um, so I used to go to summer camps, and then uh, it was like for kids. And then uh, during dinner, after dinner, like the staff would do skits for the kids. And uh, traditionally, like we would also shoot stuff on, on, on VHS cameras. <laughs> But I, I remember loading the stuff into this really janky, cheap software and, and putting together my first cut ever and just like being amazed by the effect that I'd created like continuous reality in the computer. It started off as like a, a hobby and a, a passion. And then after high school, I decided to study law, uh, which was a mistake. I didn't know... Before I started, but after three months of n not studying law and mainly getting high, <laughs> I'm not going to lie about it, I was like 18, it made no sense to study law for me. Yeah. Uh, I decided to quit and tell my parents, like, I think I want to pursue this video Amazing. thing. <laughs> my parents were like, are you, are you sure? <laughs> is, this a, is this a good idea? Like the creative industry? That's like where that that story started. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So yeah, you you speak about this like magical feeling that you felt with uh, being able to mold reality or yeah. mold a story. Do you uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, yeah, of course. Um, well, when I before I started working in this industry, and when I speak to friends or whatever, I, I realized that a lot of people don't understand what goes on on a film set and in a cutting room. People don't realize i mean they do realize in a way but they don't fully realize that it's all separate takes yeah different angles maybe even shot on different order. sort of different days they kind of just think that a scene plays out and the camera is there so first of all people don't understand that that that's part of constructing reality just like putting that together yeah. um to a coherent like uh piece of time um so that that was already cool to me initially, like, oh, wow, I can just build up this world. But th now, like later on, when I gain more experience, like the fact that you can manipulate how characters interact, like, do I interrupt you or do I uh, leave a long gap between uh, every interaction? Like that makes it really awkward. Yeah. You know, um, do I cut out certain lines where um, people like mentally skip a beat? which makes it interesting for the viewer and that that's those sort yeah. of things are just really yeah i mean it's just super powerful you're like yeah. god of this mini universe for sure and yeah. with that comes a lot of responsibility as well i mean yeah 
I know we spoke about, um, you know, the, the like ethics behind manipulating yep. certain things. And yep. um, as many of us had to do when we started out, like working in reality TV, for instance, yeah, or yeah, things like yeah, this, especially yeah. at the time when reality TV was so popular and sure. in the beginning. I know that you also have some history with that. And um, yeah, how, how did you navigate that boundary of like manipulating um, emotion? But keeping it uh to a certain level of uh integrity or where was it not like uh, possible initially i wasn't uh protecting any integrity i was just trying to gain experience yeah. and i was doing what was being asked of me yeah so i did um oh, i did for instance a show called um models in cape town at a really fun company where i started off and they they were like really good to me but i did a lot of reality tv for them and they were always pushing to to manipulate to make wow. to make stuff more entertaining. I mean, it's not not out of the ordinary. Yeah. It's like what every reality production would do, um, and it's like very easy in editing to make someone look more stupid or make a situation more awkward. And I guess just anything goes. Um, yeah, I did it, but. First of all, I, I quickly started realizing that reality TV just wasn't my passion. It wasn't making me tick. And also I was getting more and more like ethical objections to basically puppeteering these people, making them look stupid or whatever. Um, yeah, no. So I, I had some some concerns uh, when it came to that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's tough so i know like when my friends watch something yeah. who aren't in the industry for instance uh they will be very excited when they notice a continuity error ah. and when they see that it's like one of the first times that they notice the edit especially if the editor was was doing a good job yeah so um could you elaborate a little bit on just continuity and and yeah, yeah how you see it well i would advise your friends who spot like a single continuity mistake to like tell them maybe to focus on the right part of the frame for like five minutes yeah. and not on where your attention is being drawn and see what you notice. Yeah. I mean, films and series are full of continuity mistakes. Um, when I did my, my first series, I was inexperienced. The director was inexperienced and the lead role who also wrote and directed the series were super inexperienced. When we were in the cutting room, continuity was one of the things we were focusing on the most. Yes. Like two extremes. <laughs> like if someone was eating a sandwich and in one shot she was like this and in the other shot she had her index finger up, the director would be sitting next to me like after fixing an index <laughs> finger. That's amazing. And we felt that was the most important thing in the world yes. and spent a lot of time on it. And I learned that continuity does not matter at all. Yeah. It's um, you learn how to redirect people's attention to certain parts of the screen or emotionally you engage them in something uh, that makes it so that they don't notice. One thing I would love to know is how do you keep up with like the constantly evolving technology of the software that, that you use for editing? I guess for me, it's, it's not that relevant to keep up with technical stuff as long as it works. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I am keeping a close eye on AI. Yeah. I'm really curious to see where that's going to take us and how that changes, like the, the workload or for sure creative input for, for us. Yes. What are Josh Menko's AI predictions? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I think for like generic stuff, AI could potentially replace an editor altogether. I think in, in documentary and drama editing, AI may be able to replace like a part of the assembly cut. 
but not it, it couldn't replace an editor altogether i mean famous last words pretty sure i'll <laughs> will be fossils in five years um no i mean what, what would be cool is like if i could give a ai my script and my rushes and say like hey do four or five assembly cuts for me do one uh, fast paced do one in the style of Wes Anderson, do one like this. And then yeah. like the AI would just spit out five versions from which you can choose and pick. I mean, that that would be amazing. Totally. Um, yeah. Other than that, I don't know. I'm also a bit scared yeah. for AI. Mm. Like, uh, are we going to be replaced? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, ideally, I feel, I'm hoping that it's going to be a great collaboration. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Because, I mean, AI is such a big extension of us as humans, you know. Yeah. So I'm really hoping that uh, it'll be a wonderful collaborative venture. Yeah, and that we don't get, like, uh, held uh, as in the 2001 Space Odyssey. Exactly. Or, like, all screwed. Yes, so let's hope for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you do narrative and commercial. Yeah, correct. And could you, yeah, tell us a little bit about the differences that you experience and um, also... Uh, for instance, if you were just doing commercial or if you're just doing narrative, how that would feel for you? Yeah. So I like to uh, balance the two because um, they differ quite significantly. Like drama productions are, it's like, it's a long run. It's, it's, it's uh, very fatiguing. You're very involved. I always like, my analogy is always like carrying a baby, you know, it's like a long process. It's tiring. And then like delivering the baby is, is, is tough and it takes a lot, but also it gives you a lot because you've put in so much and the results are like worthwhile usually and it's great. But then it's really nice to alternate that with commercial because it's, I'm a bit more detached with commercial work. It's more fast paced. Uh, there's less um, individual responsibility for the editor because the the teams are usually uh, like people. There are a lot more people involved in the editing process, whereas in fiction it's like you and the director for three, four months straight. So there's a lot of weight on your shoulders. Um, so those are the differences. But then again, like um, editing is it's whatever I'm doing. There are always similarities. Like you're always telling a story, yeah. trying to convey uh, an emotion or a message. And I, the underlying principles are always the same, whether you're doing a commercial, a documentary, an infomercial, a horror film. Yeah. Like you always use the same skill and, and tool set in doing your work. So uh, yeah. that's how they are similar. Exactly. Yeah. And I can imagine that, you know, doing commercial and narrative gives you a good work-life balance as well because they have different challenges and different things that they ask from your from yeah. your life. Well, don't ask my girlfriend about my work-life <laughs> balance. <laughs> if you want Always, to, right? if you want a healthy family life, don't go into this industry. Like, trust me. No. no it's that's got, only one side of the story. It's getting better now. No, but um <laughs> no, typically commercials will screw up my work-life balance. Yeah, because the stakes are high. Uh, also, the fees are higher. So people are very demanding. Like at six o'clock, you can't say, OK, I have to pick up my daughter. Bye bye. Um, that's not accepted. So commercial work tends to be more demanding, like when, like when, when it comes down to the nitty gritty, like hours and involvement and stuff. Yeah. And fiction is more because it's more spread out. You can balance your life a bit more. This is an interesting topic because... Do you not feel that it's the producer's um, 
responsibility to relate to the client that you work from nine till six yeah and that's it but like on tuesdays you can maybe work from four till midnight or whatever but i as a producer i feel like that's definitely my responsibility to keep the crew yeah healthy and being able to live a proper life you know in theory you're right um I guess I guess people people try to do that, yeah. but it's always a problem. Like, like there's this chain of command, and if like the top dog barks a command down the chain, like the person under there has a decision. Like, am I going to uh, push this down the chain, or am I going to escalate this and, and push back? And usually, people, as long as they have the chance to go down the chain, mm. they do so. And then we're like at the the bottom of the chain, not hierarchically, but yeah, like yeah, we're yeah. the last people working there. So then uh, usually it ends up with us. And then we have to be the ones to say, hey, uh, guys, uh, I have to leave at six. And that's just horrible for the people above you because they have to escalate all the way back up. And usually, yeah, my experience is that uh, production companies usually prefer to have the people underneath just doing what they say. And then uh, that's easier for, for everyone. Yeah, I've had that experience as well. But I, I do think it's so solvable, you know, because yeah. if if um, if the client and the, produ- the production team is, is educated on how what goes into, for instance, your work and um, knows, for instance, what kind of um, thing they're asking for when they ask for changes at like 5 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it feels to me that it's quite a doable shift to yeah. just have a more uh, aware team, like yeah. a team that has just more, um, yeah, understanding of actually the entire process and what goes into your process, for instance. And yeah. it feels that, you know, then uh, it's much easier to to keep everyone happy and healthy on yeah. a production. I'm I'm glad I'm not a producer because that would be. I mean, I can imagine that's very hard to do. Yeah. Sometimes you have to be very diplomatic about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a a big part of the yeah. the navigation of the job for sure. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it's getting. I I feel like it is getting healthier. Yeah. When I started off, all editors used to smoke, drink a bunch of coffee. Yeah. Uh, work in, in edit suites without windows. Yeah. I don't, I seriously can't remember the last time I saw anything like that. Yeah, same. I yeah. also, when I started the same thing and production was really quite, quite unhealthy and yeah. sets were as well and people working in them, but there's been such a big change. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very Which good. Which is great. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we're going to live longer. Yay. Yay. So you worked on a short film that won a golden calf. Congratulations. Thank you. Could you please elaborate on this wonderful award? Uh, yeah, for sure. So this was with a director I worked with a few times. He's called Jan, Jan Verdijk. He's a really cool, like, uh, he's a unique maker, in my, in my opinion. And he always does, like, very macabre, dark, sort of bordering comedy horror thriller stuff. And this was a project um, out of the film funds, yeah, like the yeah. Dutch government subsidized film money thingy. Uh, it was for, it's called Lockdown Cinema. So it was after a year of COVID, they, they had like a grant for films that thematically dealt with disease and lockdown and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And he wrote a short film about two girls in the midst of like a super crazy pandemic, like sort of a zombie thing. The two two small girls are trapped in a huge villa and they've managed to become like self-sustaining with water and that kind of stuff. Only their food is running out. And then 
um, a stranger comes up to a window in a full hazmat suit and asks asks to be let in. And then there's like this long interaction where it's like, can we trust him? Can we not? Um, so this was like thematically, it was very on on point. And then it just it it went from there. It got selected for for the film festival on the long list. And then I thought like, yeah, but I mean, we won't be nominated. Then we got nominated, and then like I was sh- I was pretty sure we wouldn't win it. Uh, and then we were at the ceremony, and they called out the name of our film. It's called a. Uh, Panzer, by the way, which translates to shielded. You can see it on on Vimeo. Nice. And I mean, I was just super duper proud. Like I I had said the year before, like my my three year plan is either to uh, win a golden calf for editing or to be involved in a production uh, that goes on to to win a calf. And like a year later, that's amazing. I sort of done it you manifested it yeah i guess very nice yeah nicely done i was super super proud of it yeah Yeah. still am and it was a very cool cool thing to cut yeah um i think we spent a very long time on it It was like 20 a 20 minute film yeah three or four shooting days which would normally like take eight days but this director is very demanding Mm -hmm. and a perfectionist i think we must have spent like 25 days cutting it if i'm not mistaken this guy is the most involved you can have a, a director. Wow. Um, so, But yeah. he's also, I'm sure he also has a lot of respect for what you're doing, right? So oh, yeah, he, it's yeah. just like his presence is there a lot and like... Yeah, definitely. Conversations are happening. Yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. It's very satisfying. Um, yeah. Like we're used to, I, I think especially in the Netherlands, to work on a budget and on time constraints. And he will just take all the time that he needs, which can be... Sometimes it's frustrating when people do that. But if you look at the end result and think like, ah, if we had spent six days cutting this thing, it wouldn't have won a calf. I mean, I couldn't do a project like that one after the other. Yeah. Because it's too, like, you're too emotionally involved and it's very tiring. But it's fun to have like one or two of those a year. Yeah, we have a feature, We have a feature film coming up with him in uh, November which I'm scared and yeah. excited at the same time, but it's it's going to be yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun for oh, sure. Oh, incredible, yeah. nice, yeah. yeah. So when you were in the editing process uh, for uh, Panzer, yeah, um, you know, you mentioned you tried different things, etc. So as an editor, how do you let go of a certain cut that you felt was like really working? Mm-hmm. How do you let go of it to be able to try different things or, or maybe not the whole cut, but like parts of it that you really felt this is good, but then also being able to have the flexibility of trying a different way? Mm, I, I never get attached to a cut before it's done. So I will never, ever, ever, ever start polishing a sequence or anything mm-hmm. until we're sure it's done because that keeps me like a little bit detached uh like if you really polish something with sound effects and music when you're still like pretty sure you're gonna s- switch stuff around you always try to cling to that oh you know that one beat that worked really well that one glance or whatever yes. but it's all irrelevant in the larger in the larger picture so i try to be rough i, I try to cut uh, cut really rough for as long as possible and that sort of keeps me detached yeah, I never, no, I never, um, like really uh, adhere too much value. It's like a certain thing I built. Yeah, it's a great note. Yeah, also, because it's like you need to look at it on a macro level. Like, what's the whole film doing? If this 
is a great little edit, but in the arc. larger in the larger arc, like it doesn't work, then you know you should just kill your darlings. It's, uh, I mean, it's a wonderful thing to know because yeah. it's it's a tough thing, and yeah. and it seems like you've got a really good uh, process with that for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you will have times which you disagree mm. uh, with the director if you if you're like on the end of the spectrum where you. Uh, where, where you don't give people individual freedom and you want to control everything, it must be so tiresome because yeah. you basically have to do everything yourself yeah. rather than having a team that functions, functions uh, autonomously, exactly. which is the desired situation. Like it's best for everything, like for, for speed, for yeah. creativity, for, I mean, the atmosphere in the whole production. Yeah, I 100% works, agree. works best. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like our uh, the creative industry, when it is working like that uh, in its great pure form, it's such a great example, I think, for, for all kinds of teams, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When you have egos in a production, I've experienced that sometimes on, mm. on commercial projects. Um, I mean, that's not nice. And people tend to just detach. Yeah. If someone is too con controlling in, in, the, in the cutting room, I will eventually go passive. Because I feel like my input is not appreciated. So I'll just go passive and just be like, okay, just I'll be your button bashing monkey. Just tell me what to do. Uh, which I think is a waste of, of totally. talent. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. A cautionary tale. Yeah. <laughs> so are there any lessons that you learned on your journey of being an editor individually or about the industry? Um, yeah, of course. I mean, I've been doing this for 15 years now. So if you spend a lot of hours on something you learn a lot um about the industry i can say in holland it's a it's a uh, it can be a tough world uh with really tight-knit networks so um i mean that can be a challenge for aspiring editors to to overcome like your yeah your network is one of your most important assets but i feel like once you get to know people and you put in the work also a lot of free work it's also a very um warm world to be a part of with a lot of cool and and nice people it can just be steep steep to get into it like i remember after i did my first um fiction series which was pretty big actually i remember thinking like ah and now i will be welcomed with open <laughs> arms by all the major production houses and then just like crickets and silence so that was uh yeah a tough realization so that's what i learned about the industry i think the biggest um individual lesson that i learned and that i'm still not that i still have to remind myself of every time i work um is that you have to recognize and respect your own creative process um i think many people working in the creative industry deal with insecurities at least i i do i have a huge a case of imposter syndrome like every time i deliver a project i'm like oh thank god nobody found out i don't know what i'm doing um and that was really hard to deal with in the beginning like i didn't know what i was doing it was just sort of falling together and ending up as a a working thing and through the years i i learned to to really recognize and and analyze my own creative process, which is I always start off putting something together that's just completely horrible and crap. And that's that assembly cut is 
for no one's eyes but my own. And that's a, a starting point for me to build on because then I can see like, okay, what's not working and I will build on that. But when I was like super inexperienced, that would make me so insecure seeing that first cut and being like, oh my God, I just, I, I can't, I can't do this. I'm, I'm, I'm just horrible at this. Wow. Um, and still like every time I start on a project, I'll still have a bit of that same feeling when I see my assembly cut and just go, oh, this sucks so bad. Um, but I've learned like to, to recognize that that's just the way my process works. Yeah. Like I'm not the best conceptual thinker from the get go. The conceptual thinking will grow as my timeline develops. So I won't be a guy that sees a script, sees a footage and goes like, ah, I'll do this, that, 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 that. And then bam, it's there. No, I just, I sort of clay, clay my, my edits together. And I, I've learned to accept and, and respect that and trust that. That'll take my work to good places where people are are satisfied. I don't know if that's the same for for every editor or everyone in the creative industry, but everyone has a, a process, and I think it's good to be to be respectful of of that. Not try to copy other people's uh, processes which you look up to, but just see what works for you. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible advice for sure. Yeah. For aspiring editors as yeah. well. I think what's so interesting about creative um, jobs is that we get to see things when they're not show ready, yep. right? Like yeah. we see them in their like non glory. <laughs> yeah. And we have to somehow find a way to to be okay with that and to not let it um, distract us. And I think you've you've done that really well. So yeah, that's really awesome to hear. Thanks. Yeah. 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 No, I mean that's. Uh, can be hard showing showing stuff to people that that can't see through like the rough edges mm. i mean that's just stay away from it as as long as possible yeah but yeah that's uh that can be that can be hard so according to you what is the role of an editor just blanket term your interpretation <clears throat> the role of an editor is i always like to analogize i think it's like uh, a chef like and all the people working before that are uh, like people who write the recipe, the the farmers who grow the crops and the, the butcher and whatever, the dairy man. <laughs> Everybody works to deliver a good product and they might have ideas about how that product is used because there's like a, there's a menu written, but then it ends up in the kitchen and you're like, ah, this menu is not going to work as we planned it because the, the milk is sour or the, the apples aren't ripe yet. And then, so the cutting room is is literally like the kitchen for me where you are together with the director, the chef, and you decide like, okay, we still have to turn this into an edible meal. So you might have to change some things around. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it can. it's basically, uh, if you're going back to like literal film terms, it's like a rewrite. So you write a script and the script is usually rewritten on, on set by actors and, and directors who are like, ah, oh, maybe cut that out, switch it around, do that a bit more like this. Poor and writers. Then, yeah. And then in the cutting room, you get like a, uh, another rewrite. And it's, I mean, it's just an extremely important uh, part of the process, the, yeah. the offline edit. People don't realize how like, powerful that process is and how much get gets decided in in the cutting room totally i think it's like in film it's one of the most important positions that's also the most anonymous yeah people don't see you you're behind the screen 
99% of the world doesn't understand what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually okay with that. What's really weird about being an editor is you get very intimate or I get very intimate with my with my characters. Yes. Because you're like looking at them for months on end. You get to know their like subtle twitches that reveal insecurity or satisfaction with a take. Yeah. So like you really know people. And then you run into them on the street. And I always, I go into like this, hey, how are you? And you can see people like, who, who, because who are you? You have this form of knowledge of them that they do not have for you. No, and that is the weirdest experience ever and it happens to me all the time oh that's hilarious Where you just greet people and they're like who are you i just got an idea for a script ah. an editor gets ca- kidnapped by like the cia to be like a profiler oh 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 definitely yes no no editors anyone want to write that <laughs> that's a great idea because we really do understand psychology in in subtleties yes like in in pauses or or brevity in speaking or when people skip a beat mentally like that sort of stuff that's all like very subtle psychology yeah exactly yeah now that's yeah. also really cool about our, our craft yeah that, sure that script would work yes <laughs> yes <laughs> perfect let's get it written <laughs> um but you mentioned anonymity and i know there's also like um of course there's there's the there's the editor as well who you can see has a hand in a film because they get recognized and you can kind of start telling especially if you're into editing yeah. and watching editors careers you can tell that this editor worked on a on a project so um yeah if you could just elaborate between the the two versions basically if i want to differentiate between like two main forms of editing there's like invisible editing and visible editing i guess yeah when invisible editing is done well you just lose yourself in the continuous reality and it even happens to me when i'm watching a film it just goes by i don't watch the edit unless it's badly done or badly written or acted then i will start like looking at lighting and and edit choices and but that's a bad sign and then there's like really visible editing like the film that just won the oscar um everything everywhere all at once where it's like so elaborate and technical yeah that it really takes center stage i mean that's that's super cool it's also dangerous because you're putting a lot of emphasis on the edit so it needs to be yeah good exactly proper good um yeah but if done well that's amazing but in 95% of cases, I think editing is and should be invisible. For sure. That's the whole point of it. I would recommend anyone aspiring to be an editor to uh, read um, uh, Walter Murch's book. In the Blink of an Eye. In the Blink of an Eye. Yeah. Um, I forgot most of it, but there's like this priority list of six points. Yeah. And I think continuity is like fifth or fourth or fifth on the list of important things. Exactly. Also, like, uh, emotion and story is on on number one and two. Emotion is on number one. Also, stuff with, like, um, uh, Asse axes. Yes. uh, Totally not important. Yeah. If you manage to take your audience along for the ride, forget about that stuff. I mean, just fix it if it's uh, annoying or it takes people out of the the experience. But Mm -hmm. otherwise, it just doesn't matter. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's one of those things like also when I was at film school, you know, we learned about continuity and stuff and you start fixating on these like things and you're like, oh, the necklace was there and it had to be here. But then afterwards with more experience, you learn that it's about the story and and all these things. You start looking at it from a whole different Well, I mean, it is is important if you're learning to to understand how it works and and, and to, to respect those basics because then you can utilize those rules in in your favor like yeah. if you want to make uh, a scene more um uh, more manageable for your audience like you can you can stick more to the rule with axes but if you want yeah. to make it disorienting or like uh, scary or yes. whatever use jump cuts go all over axes you know sometimes in film school they let you do different roles right to like yeah. get to know the whole process so my one thing my first thing i had to edit i um I had a scene from The Departed and it's meant to be like a romantic dinner scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I just wanted to use the dolly because I was like, ooh, dolly. So I had this cut where I was like pushing in this dolly and like the whole thing looked like a horror. Like it literally looked like they were about to murder each other. It just changed the whole experience, yeah. (laughs) But I didn't, that's not what I was trying to do. But when I looked at the edit, I was like, oh no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What have I done? That's so strange. (laughs) It's like there are no rules for editing, but you sort of learn to understand the grammar yeah. of, of editing. And I still, I find that hard to explain to like assistants or other people. It's just something you, it's like a feeling. Maybe for other people, it's less of a feeling and it's more about rules. And yeah. But for me, I'm just editing. I'm like, I want to create this feeling. And then I just know these ways to achieve that. There's no set rule like you need to go to close and then to wide. It's like, it's like speaking. Like yeah. you, when you speak to people, you learn how to convey emotions and nuances through timing and dynamics. And it's not something that you actively think about. Yeah. It's just something you've learned through your life in 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 interacting with people, reading reactions. Um, that's something you learn in editing as well. And the fun thing is when you're inexperienced and you do things uh, with an intended outcome and the outcome is completely different, those are really, really valuable experiences. Yes, it was a very good lesson. Because now you know, like, (laughs) okay, well, slow dolly in. Yeah. That's creepy. (laughs) The dolly in is creepy. (laughs) Yeah. This dolly is, this slider is moving from side to side. That's not creepy, right? Well, let's hope not, because uh, then it's going to be a very interesting corner episode. Well, yeah, Josh, thanks. It was amazing having you here on the corner and we wish you the best of luck in your endeavors. You guys too. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Awesome. Okay. Exit music. Bye-bye.